Welcome to Hiring Talent. I'm your host, Marie Ryan. In this podcast, CEOs, HR managers and recruiters share their insights to help you find talented employees. Joining me today is the CEO of Zartis, Podrick Coffee. Hello, Podrick. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for uh, joining me today. Um, without further ado, can you tell us a little bit about Zartis? Sure, certainly. So Zertis is a software consulting company. We're based in Ireland. We provide engineers to client companies in um, Germany, the UK, the United States and Ireland would be the four main markets. Um, from an industry perspective, we work, do a lot of work in renewable energy, in fintech and in education technology as well. Uh, we've been in business for 12 years now at this point. Um, as I say, Irish based, so head office is in Cork and we have engineers um, working for us from Spain, from Portugal, from Poland, Czech Republic, and more recently we've been hiring in Latin America and also in South Africa. And yeah, typical kind of customer engagement looks like a, a high growth tech company that needs to augment its engineering department. And we provide engineers to those companies usually for long term projects. And we also provide some expert technology consulting. So our CTO and his team of direct reports can come in and evaluate an existing as is scenario from a technology perspective and then look at what a maybe to be plan could look like. Um, so that's us in a nutshell, I suppose. Great. And you mentioned you're in a lot of uh, a lot of different locations. Why did you hire engineers overseas? Um, that's a very good question. I suppose uh, access to talent is is a constraint for a lot of our clients, and uh, it's been a pinch point in Ireland for a long time. I uh, relocated to Spain for a five year period um, around 2015, I think it was. So I just moved back to Ireland uh, within the last year. And uh, a lot of that move personally was um, because I wanted to live, uh, live abroad again. And I really enjoyed the experiences I've had living in other countries. And in doing so, uh, I suppose with me moving to Spain, there was an opportunity for us to focus our hiring in Spain in the first instance. And that's where we did most of our engineering hiring, uh, specifically in Madrid, first of all, and then we opened up offices in Valencia. And more recently, we've continued to hire almost every, in almost every province in Spain. So that got the ball rolling in terms of international hiring. After we commenced hiring in Spain, one of our clients was asking us where else uh, in Europe we could help them um, access engineering talent. So we, we decided to start onboarding engineers in Poland. Um, primarily driven by the quality of engineering talent in that country uh, and then subsequently we established legal entities in, in Portugal and Czech Republic and have kept going with, uh, with growth in those locations. So it's really been about access to talent. Um, Ireland as a market has had a, uh, I suppose, a tight labour market in relation to tech hiring for quite a period of time. This solution to that pr problem around, if you think of it in terms of, let's say, 2012 to 2015 or 2016, the solution tended to be to relocate talent from other parts of Europe. So you had a lot of folks moving from Spain and from Poland and Portugal and uh, Croatia. Um, and the promise was move to Ireland, double your base salary, get international experience, work through English, 
many of the best tech companies in the world are there. So it was a, there was a really compelling uh, sales pitch for coming to Ireland at a particular moment in time. And over time, the salary differentials between Ireland and other European countries started to erode. So salaries increased very significantly in countries like Spain and Poland and Portugal and Croatia. They didn't increase at the same rate in Ireland. And at the same time, the cost of living was was ratcheting up in Ireland very significantly from about 2014 onwards. So um, our company, I suppose, sprung up as a kind of a, a solution to that problem of, you know, if you can't bring the people to the jobs, you might as well bring the jobs to where the people are. And, you know, we had our company infrastructure all set up in Spain to be able to facilitate companies that wanted access to new seams of, of tech talent. And, uh, and we've kept going from that perspective. So... I guess in our in in the situation as artists, some of it was driven by personal aspects. So I wanted to live in Spain, um, and some of it was driven by the you know changes in the market and changes in the professional realm. Hey, interesting. And certainly, workplaces in Ireland are becoming a lot more diverse. Um, a lot of different people are moving from different countries here. So um, I'm kind of curious to find out what the differences are between, say, Irish employees and our European counterparts? It's an interesting question. Um, so I kind of want to avoid getting into kind of uh, cultural generalizations, but there are some differences that we can that we can certainly talk about. Um, I would say that people are used to different things in different locations. So in Spain, people are used to having maybe more time off. So for example, there's 14 public holidays in Spain versus nine in Ireland. But on the flip side, they're used to working uh, a longer working day. So it's not unusual for people to still be at work at 7 p.m. or 7.30 in many companies in Spain, whereas in Ireland, if you're still there at half five in many occasions, it's kind of an unusual thing. Uh, so I think the the configuration of time off and the configuration of work-life balance is a little bit different if we consider Spain versus uh, versus Ireland. Um, looking at Poland, um, that's an yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess there are there are some cultural kind of nuances that you can consider in relation to people in different locations. But I think what's been more striking for me is that people are broadly similar wherever you go. You know, the motivations can be very much the same. People want access to interesting, meaningful work that challenges them and stretches them out. Um, they want to be paid well for that work. They want a sense of progress in terms of what they're doing. They want to be treated well. So that doesn't really change regardless of where you go. Um, maybe one thing I have found is Irish people can be a little bit more diplomatic than people in other places uh, in terms of uh, I've, I've heard this characterized that we're a little bit fake in Ireland about certain things that like if someone says that everything is going brilliantly that it's going fine and if it's going fine it means they're about to hand in their notice so maybe there can be a little bit of that maybe we are maybe by consequences of our colonial inheritance maybe we're a little bit not insincere, but maybe more prone to sugarcoating things in Ireland and being a little bit less direct about what we want. And um, so I, I, I have found that 
uh, with the Polish colleagues that we have, you know exactly where you stand with them and you know what they're thinking and and uh, there's very few surprises crop up and I would say something broadly similar in Spain that the employees we have in Spain um, tend to be quite uh, forthcoming if they're unhappy about something which is good it means you can do something to solve the problem. Uh, Historically in Ireland some of the issues that have arisen with people have been something I've learned about on their way out the door when they're when they're leaving they've handed in their notice they're gone and they've been upset about something for a long time <laughs> it's like okay you know um it, it can be maybe a little bit more challenging to surface those issues in the Irish context but you know again back to the point I think people are broadly motivated by the same things and broadly very decent wherever you go it's one of the things that's really struck me throughout my career is maybe by luck um, I've generally been surrounded, regardless of what country or city I've been working in, by really great people, um, people I've been able to learn from, and um, my, I suppose my overall sense of human nature is very positive, um, because the experiences I've had have been broadly very, very positive. And uh, yeah, I, I think that people are, people are not as different as they often think they are, uh, be that within a cultural context or within the cultural context or between different cultural contexts that we're, we're, we're quite similar in terms of what makes us take and what we're looking to get, what we're looking to extract from life, I would say. How do you think companies can be more direct with their employees or how they can cu- foster a culture where people, their employees can be a bit more open with them? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it comes down to people feeling safe and secure to speak their truth. I think that's a really important thing. Having, you know, made plenty of mistakes myself uh, over the course of my career, what I have learned is not to shy away from asking people very directly and asking them twice, like, you know, are you sure that this is, you know, a project you're happy working on? Are you sure that you're enjoying your role as it's currently constituted? Are you sure this is, everything's moving in the right direction? Uh, yeah, so I, I think I've learned with the, particularly with Irish colleagues, that it, there's no harm in asking a second time and just making sure that what they said first time around is definitely what they want. Um, so I think that that's, uh, that's an, a, an important uh, learning for me has been, you know, that there's a temptation if someone's telling you what you want to hear to say, oh yeah, they're happy, they're grand, I can move on, I don't need to worry about this. And particularly if you're involved in running a company or managing a team or have some uh, sort of leadership responsibility, you're normally dealing with a, a list of small fires at any given moment in time. So the, the incentive for you is to try and keep your list as short as possible. But you know, if you don't solve the problem today when it's small, you might be solving a much bigger problem in two weeks or two months' time. So I think certainly a, a learning that I've internalized is to check in with people continually and to check the things haven't changed uh, you know in a way that's negative for them so to speak and uh, I think that that's an important thing uh, to bear in mind particularly if you're dealing with Irish people um, yeah um, you mentioned kind of motivators for different employees what do you think are the biggest motivators for engineers okay um, so in order uh, I would say the number one um, most important topic for engineers would be the level of interest or satisfaction 
that they can derive from the project they work on. So a challenging project, I think, is, is really, uh, really, really important. Probably more so than money, even though, you know, money's super important too. Like, it's a really important factor. But I don't think it's the number one. I think I have seen engineers um, take on um, projects that pay less in order to be more challenged and to have more interesting work. Um, I think evidence of that would be the difficulty that many large financial services institutions have in filling their developer roles, despite the fact that they, in many locations, are paying at the top of the market. Because in many instances, it might involve working with legacy technologies or it might involve working in a scenario where there's a lot of bureaucracy around getting changes um, to happen and it can be slow moving. And engineers will often prefer maybe a faster paced environment that's more dynamic, that's more agile, that's more subject to change and more uh, iterative, shall we say. So I think the number one is the nature of the challenge itself. I think money probably comes in second. Um, I think the manner in which they are treated by their employer is super important too. So everyone wants to work with people or for people that they think have integrity. Uh, no one, well, very few people want to be like the bad guy or working for the bad guys. So I think if there's a sense from engineers that actually there is, um, there are motivations beyond just money on behalf of their own employer, um, I think that, that can be quite gratifying for people. So I'd say in the order it would be nature of the challenge or extent of that challenge, money, and then the the environment in which they work from a from a social and people perspective. So. I would say those are those are the key things. There's probably other things, and you know, people are different. But in a in a general sense, I think if you have a super super interesting project and it pays somewhat well, you're not going to have too much difficulty attracting people to work with you. If it's you know maintenance project or working with legacy technologies, no matter how well you pay, it can be struggle. It can be quite difficult to attract people to come, and then even more challenging to get them to stay. Interesting. And in terms of um, when you're hiring people and conducting an interview, what are the top qualities you look for? That's a great question. Um, the number one thing we look for over and above everything else is personal integrity because we're a consulting business. So um, engineers within Zartis, you know, reflect the, the values and the quality of the company. So if we bring people in that are going to you know, misbehave or not hold a high ethical standard in their conduct, it re reflects on our brand and it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to deal with. So we look for that personal integrity over and above everything else. Um, second on the list comes technical capability. I mean, they need to be really good at what they do. Um, when a company engages with uh, a consultancy firm like Zartis, what they want is access to high quality engineers quickly. So um, if, like, if they don't get competent engineers from Zartis from the get-go, they're not going to come back looking for more collaboration or further services from us. So second on the list would be that technical competence. Those are really the important, most important too. And there are other considerations like adaptability, flexibility, willingness to learn new things, openness to new experience, you know, some of these, depending on the project or the area, can be quite important. But if you have high integrity and a high technical level, it's quite likely we'll be quite interested in, in bringing you in as, a, as an employee. 
um, and those are those are the two most important. I mean, it's probably been done to death now at this point where people talk about well it doesn't matter if you're the best engineer in the world if you're if you're an asshole you're not going to fit in here etc it's quite true um because you can have uh, and i've had the experience of working with really talented people who bring the wrong kind of atmosphere to a team and it can poison the environment in an entire team so it impacts on the working lives of maybe six other people within the team and maybe six other people on the client side so it's like okay that engineer is very good but they're they're making the lives of 12 other people less happy so it's it's uh, it's not worth it in the end to bring people into an organization that are going to misbehave that are going to be let's say super selfish and only think in terms of like what they want or what they need and are inconsiderate towards towards colleagues so yeah integrity one technical capability two after that it doesn't really matter great and in terms of assessing integrity like how do you assess that in an interview are there any questions that you go to or are there specific scenarios to make it happen that's a really, 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 it's a really difficult thing, right? Because, you know, if you ask anyone if they have personal integrity, they're likely to say, yes, I do. And I'm, I'm very well behaved. But I think you can, you can pick things up right the way through a hiring process. So, for example, um, there are folks that will go through a hiring process and they'll be very respectful to, let's say, the CTO that's interviewing them. But maybe they're going to be much less uh, respectful towards the uh, administrator who's coordinating the interview for example so that's one thing to keep an eye on like are they are they nice to everyone or are they only nice to people that they think are powerful and important so that's a good that's a good test of integrity I think it's like how have you behaved have they been courteous throughout the process have they tended to show up on time if they were late do they apologize you can pick things up I think explicitly asking questions you know, you can try and set traps for people with, you know, behavioral interview questions. What would you do in this scenario, etc.? They'll give you a theoretical answer that maybe makes them sound good or look good. But I think in terms of where you'll get a lot of information is when you ask them about their career history. And if they're speaking in terms of, you know, uh, that they're grateful for the experiences they've had, they've enjoyed the projects they've worked on, they've enjoyed learning from other people. If, if the narrative is more around this project didn't work out because the leader was didn't know what he was doing, he was incompetent, and I didn't enjoy this role because everyone was mean to me. It's like, if everyone was mean to you, is that everyone on the team was mean, or was that, <laughs> was that maybe on your side? I and mean, it's, it's, it's a question that you can pose to yourself internally. But I think um, without even having to ask them, people tell you who they are, and they show you how they are they show you how they are with other people so i think if you have your eyes open um all the information is there in life in front of you and you can you can detect and after a while you become uh, more discerning and particularly after you've made a bunch of mistakes in this area you start to pick up on little traits little habits little behaviors that you can say okay if they're not going to be nice to people during the hiring process how are they going to behave when they're in a project or you know when something goes wrong when maybe they're given the wrong laptop or they were, you know, how are they going to behave towards their colleagues if there was a mistake on their payroll or, you know, you start to, you start to gather a kind of an, a set of impressions around people. And equally on the other side, sometimes people come in and they just have a wonderful positive energy about them. And clearly they're smart and ambitious and hardworking and have integrity and know how to treat other people. And it's just emanating from them that they're going to be a great hire. So I think, uh, 
people who are involved in, in hiring and I'm less involved in hiring within Zartis than I used to be. So uh, a lot of the hiring decisions happen without, you know, unless it's uh, a leadership role generally, I won't be involved in the hiring process anymore. But I know that our CTO and I know that folks involved in the, the talent acquisition team internally have really sharpened up their focus over the years and really gained an appreciation of what exactly they're looking for and how to detect uh, a good cultural fit. And, and that's what we're looking for in the end because we onboard customers when we think they're going to be a good cultural fit for us. And that's going to be that they're uh, open to suggestions so they're not closed-minded and they're not bringing a view that they're perfect and everything is, is wonderful. So they're, they're open to suggestions. They're open to different ways of doing things. Um, they have a people first attitude. So our view is if you put, if you really look after your people properly, they'll look after your clients and that will mean your business is strong. And I think uh, working with companies who share that mindset of like, if we take care of our people, they'll take care of us and everything else will fall into place. Um, looking to onboard customers who I think are going to have a view towards um, modern ways of building software, modern frameworks and technologies that are looking to innovate and do solve problems and do cool and interesting work. And um, when we figure out that we're dealing with a company that shares those values and sense of culture, then we're happy to work with that company because we know that the engineers that will fit with Zartis culture will fit with that client. And when a client project comes to an end and those engineers come back onto our bench, so to speak, until we find them a new project, we know we're dealing with people that will fit elsewhere within the organization and can slot into other teams. So when you have that, we kind of, we interview clients in much the same way that we interview uh, potential employees. We want to make sure the fit is right on, on both sides. I mean, there's loads of organizations out there that are not a good fit for us and vice versa. We're not a good fit for them. And, you know, in which case you should try and figure that out early in a sales process and then say, okay, you know, maybe you're better off to work with a different type of provider, maybe someone larger or someone who work in a, in a different, maybe, in a different methodology, a different approach to building software. So, um, so getting the client culture fit right and then getting the engineer culture fit right is kind of how you get everything to fit together. Yeah, I agree. Certainly in the sales process, if you have to say whatever you have to say to get a client on board, um, you might find that they're a nightmare client because you weren't upfront and honest in the approach. So if there's like a cultural fit and if the service you provide is what they need and you're honest and open about it, it could be a really good relationship. But equally, if you're able to say no, if they're asking for the sun, the moon and the stars and you're able to say, well, no, it's going to be creating a much more healthy dynamic um, with all of your customers and build good relationships uh, again across the board. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, if you're going to if you're going to onboard customers through trickery and insincerity, it's you're only you're creating a much larger problem that you're going to have to solve further down the line. So I think that uh, level of transparency and being upfront with people, both in terms of people that you would like to join your company and potential customers you'd like to work with. If they're not a good fit, it's better to figure it all out up front rather than have some nasty surprises further down the line. Definitely. And um, I obviously you hire a lot of engineers. What process have you found works for hiring technical talent? Okay, it's a very good question. So, um, so there's about 
220 people in the company, so more or less 200 engineers and 20 people across business and operational roles. Um, when it comes to hiring engineers, we, we have our own process. So we have a talent acquisition team that uh, engage with engineers that are looking to change jobs and they assess them in terms of communication skills, their experience, the technologies they're interested in working in, the domains that they've worked in, you know, and then all the usual hygiene factors around salary expectations, notice periods, etc. Uh, assuming that there's been, let's say, you know, good rapport on both sides, then and those engineers would meet with two people from the technology pillar of Zartis. And that's uh, that's a kind of a two-way dialogue, really. It's an opportunity for the candidates to share their skills and experience and to ask questions uh, about Zartis, about the clients that they're likely to work for, etc., and uh, and then on the other side for that for that exchange to happen uh, on on the flip side of that coin, so meeting with two people from technology and artists we think is good because it gives them, I suppose, a sense of the, the scale of the company in some ways because they'll meet two folks from two different parts of artists. So maybe one person working in a fintech project, another person working in let's say an education technology project. Uh, and also the folks involved in the interviewing have, have generally been around the company for, you know, four or five years. And maybe they've worked in three or four different client teams. So it gives people an understanding that, okay, you'll be hired in to work for a specific client team. But in the event that things don't work out, such as, I don't know, the client encounters financial difficulty or the market changes or the need changes and they will no longer require that engineer, but there'll be a position for them elsewhere within Zaratis and to give people comfort that there's opportunities for mobility as well in terms of you might join one client as a senior engineer and maybe two years later you'll move to another client as a technical lead. So sharing that context, giving, giving people exposure to what the culture of the company is, I think is, is valuable because they can see, okay, maybe I want to be involved in a company like Zaratis. Or maybe they figure out, actually, I don't like these people at all. <laughs> Again, that's good to be, it's good to have that understood up front. Um, and then after that, if they've made it through the, you know, talent acquisition interview, made it through the interview with our two engineers, we would then typically uh, have them meet with uh, someone from the client uh, before, uh, before we, we confirm that they're going to join that particular team. We think it's good to give clients uh, exposure to who they will potentially be working with um, before any decisions are made and also for the, for the candidate themselves to have some dialogue with their future co-workers from the client side. Uh, and we think that's offering a nice amount of transparency to everyone involved. Yeah, definitely. And um, obviously you work with a lot of engineers, but I know you're not from a technical background. So how did you bridge, bridge rather the gap in your own knowledge to deal with technical people and technical teams? That's a really good question. Um, so I, you're correct. My, my first job after university was working in, uh, it was a leadership development consultancy, but it was focused very much on the, on the technology world. So we were doing a lot of work with companies like uh, Facebook and the technology side of Accenture, et cetera. Um, and I was working primarily in sales and business development roles throughout my career, uh, primarily in the, in the technology world. So I guess from the moment I left university, I've had some exposure to the wider domain, but I've had to bridge a gap in that I'm not coming from a computer science background myself. 
Um, I'm naturally a curious person. I like reading a lot and I like reading stuff that maybe other people won't enjoy reading. I read the GDPR from start to finish, for example, because I was curious. I, I knew that there was a lot of uh, consequences for our business and I was curious to see how it was all going to be laid out. So, so I spent a, a Friday evening once reading the GDPR. So I guess being like, uh, while I'm not from a, from the software engineering world, I'm very much a nerd. Uh, I studied Latin in school. Uh, I represented Ireland at the World Latin Championships in 2001. So uh, being kind of nerdy, I think, has been helpful. And I think people on the engineering side pick up that I'm also, you know, kind of nerdy, but maybe in a slightly different way. Um, I think being interested has been very helpful. So I've been very curious. I have a very curious mind, and I've been very curious about the world of software engineering and um, one of my roles as well prior to joining Zartis is I worked for the Udeco group and I set up a, an IT staffing business for the Udeco group uh, around 2012 and I ran that from 2012 to 2014 and during that period of time my job was just talking to software engineers all day every day and uh, primarily about them relocating from Europe to Ireland so I got exposure to the concepts of international mobility and also a lot of the concepts around technology and software engineering in general. So um, really just learning by osmosis, reading a lot, picking stuff up as I, as I was going. Um, there were some good books that I read on, on the topic. Um, and I guess software is kind of eating the world, I suppose, in some shape or form. And it, it's hard not to engage with the general topics around, around software development. Uh, my dad asked me recently to explain to him what blockchain is. So <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting conversation because it's kind of one of those things that like, I kind of know what this is, but I kind of don't know it well enough to explain it. So, you know, I went off and did a little bit of reading. I actually recorded a podcast on the topic and then went back to my dad and was like, okay, here's what it is. He didn't really care anymore, but he came back with the answer. But, you know, uh, I suppose we are fortunate to live in an era where a huge amount of information is freely available to us. It's there at our, at our disposal um, at the end of a Google search query or, or an equivalent. Um, so I think curiosity, um, I'm also, I suppose, have been in the sector now for um, 12 or more years. And uh, I was talking to our CTO earlier and I was telling him that one of the things I love about the job that I do is I get to learn every day. And I get to learn about technology, I get to learn about people, human nature, business, etc. So I think if you are someone who appreciates the, the fruits of learning, then um, it can be helpful, I suppose, in that regard. For companies that need to hire tech talent, but they don't have a technical background or they don't have any technical people, how do you think that they should go about it? It's a very good, uh, very good question. I think um, there should be kind of an honest appraisal about whether there's a set an individual or a set of full-time employees are needed for the long-term benefit of the company or um is there maybe uh, an agency i don't mean Zartis in particular but you know if you needed some web development work do you need a full-time web designer or do you need a web development agency to build you a nice website and um, so very often people kind of fall into the trap of thinking that they actually have a they have an ongoing forever need when in fact maybe they have a, a distinct piece of work that needs to be done. Um, I have a, a conversation later today uh, with a new customer of ours in, in Ohio and the US and they've gotten through 
um, the first, I think, four years in existence as a tech company without having any full-time software engineers. And <laughs> they've done that by uh, using white label products that are already built that they license and their CEO figured out how to maybe in some ways badly integrate, but how to integrate the full set of applications that they've been licensing. Um, so there's an awful lot of you know, code has been written and products have been built that don't need to be built from the ground up again. So I would say before you go down the track of, of going for full-time employees, see are there alternatives out there that could be um, using an external consulting service. It could be buying off-the-shelf products that already exist. Um, then if you are going to go down the track of um, bringing full-time employees in, maybe get someone you know that you trust that has more knowledge than you have to be party to some interview processes. Um, just to make sure that you don't bring in people who have the wrong skills. Um, it can be quite difficult to evaluate the technical skills of technical people if you don't come from a technical background yourself. So I would say, um, yeah, a good, a good steer I could give would be to try and solicit some help so that you avoid making the mistakes of maybe, yeah, I don't know, hiring the wrong type of engineer, hiring engineers that you don't need, hiring too many people. The, uh, the list of mistakes that people can make on the hiring front is, is pretty long. Um, so I think the first thing to make sure is that you don't hire someone that you don't really need because nothing will be more boring for an individual than to join a company and realize that actually they, they have nothing to be doing and there's nothing of value for them to do. Engineers will get very uh, disorientated pretty quickly and that's a, that's not a scenario that's good for anyone, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And when people are evaluating services these days, they often go to reviews mm -hmm. and that's bled into the world of hiring people in the form of Glassdoor. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you, what's your opinion on Glassdoor? I think Glassdoor is fantastic. I think Glassdoor is forcing employers everywhere to be much more considered in terms of how they treat people. I think the fact that uh, anyone can... <laughs> write a review on their way out the door or while still in the organization if they feel they've been uh, poorly treated. It's kind of, it's enforcing, uh, I think over time it's going to enforce a greater degree of, of high quality behavior from employers towards their employees. Um, it's also something that's rewarding high quality behavior from employers. So I think we're 4.8 out of 5 on Glassdoor after 60 plus reviews it's artists. And I'm super pleased about that because the amount of people who've joined the company that were like, I wasn't going to join a consultancy company ever, but then I saw the reviews about your company and it sounds like you guys actually do stuff pretty well. And that's really nice, very gratifying to hear. I'm very grateful to all the people that have worked in the company over the years that have, have written reviews. I'm also grateful for the small number of, um, I don't think we've ever really gotten any negative reviews, but we've got a couple of three star reviews instead of you know five stars shall we say and there was um very often some very honest practical feedback for how we could improve as a company and i think it's made us more conscientious in general so i'm i'm a big fan of glassdoor from that perspective i think it's it's changed the um the dynamic somewhat and it's made things in general a little bit more pro-employee it's given employees a safe route to uh, maybe share how they've genuinely been treated by a particular employer 
and as I say, it's forcing employers to be very, um, I would say, thoughtful in how they go about treating and managing people that are under their care. Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned, you have um, a lot of five-star reviews and great reviews on Glassdoors. How did you get your employees to complete those reviews? Uh, well, we didn't. We didn't get anyone to do anything, which I think is is important. Um, I guess we have tried to be really nice to people. I think that that's uh, that's been important. Um, yeah, I, I think we've been very um, proactive in taking the view that as a consulting business, the only value we have as a company is the people that choose to come and work with us. So the only value we have is our values. And I think that that's been, um, that's been a powerful thing. Uh, we're an employee-owned company as well. So a lot of people have skin in the game. They have... Um, you know, potential significant upside if the company does well over the long term. So I think that that's something uh, a little bit different. We're not we're not VC backed, so there's no we're not on this kind of um, pathway where people are looking to cash out quickly or sell the company or flip the company, etc. So I think that that has engendered a slightly different mindset. Um, We've tried to be really uh, fair in terms of how we reward people. So we spend more than 80% of our revenue goes on payroll. So that's uh, probably way too much. <laughs> but, you know, it helps in a consulting business to look after your people properly. Um, so I think all of those things can add up. And uh, I guess there's a lot of goodwill within the company. People want their employer to do well. So I think they're they're incentivized to not only do a good job, but try and help us like build our reputation. Um, one thing we've gotten better at is um, we have we have uh, folks responsible for employee engagement, and they carry out not only engagement surveys but one-to-one meetings with everyone in the company. And people can ask any questions that they want in those meetings. And the answers are then shared in a company all hands. So I don't know who's asking the questions, but it's like, what are the things you want to know about the company? Or what are the things you're concerned about the company, but don't want to ask directly, let's say, to the CEO? So yesterday I had an all hands meeting and uh, there was like 20 questions came through. Not all of them were super comfortable for me to ask, answer. But, you know, I think the important thing is that degree of transparency and giving everyone access to that kind of information. So um, I suppose all of that adds up to, to help in that regard. Um, and there's a, I would say a nice amount of goodwill across the company um, has been helpful. I would say um, one thing I, one thing we have done is we've had, um, we've had a few people uh, resign over the past few years on really good terms. So they've left and said, look, I, I'm going to do a startup with my friends or I'm leaving because I've been offered a head of engineering role at another company, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I've really loved being here. I've had a great experience. Thank you for everything. And in those situations, I've often said, if you don't mind to write us a review on Glassdoor when you're leaving, that would be super helpful. So I think you can be uh, proactive, I think, in those scenarios. If you have maybe a good lever, I think that that's... Uh, an appropriate uh, time maybe to say like, okay, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it here. Maybe you can write a review because it might help other people to find us and uh, and to join us. So um, there can be some stuff I think you should do, but 
I, I think I think trying to engineer that kind of stuff. I think companies should be a little bit careful. I think try and be good to people. I think that's probably the best thing you can do for for looking after your your Glassdoor ranking. And if stuff is coming to you on Glassdoor that you didn't know about, maybe think about employee engagement initiatives. Think about surveying people. Think about trying to find out what problems there are in the organization while they are small before they become big problems. Thanks for tuning in to the Hiring Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want more content like this, be sure to subscribe and visit our site, hirehive.com.